All right. Good morning. So today, welcome back. Today is Thursday again. Thursday is when I wake up and realize what day it is. Uh, actually, I had this experience on Monday, thinking, "Hey, it's not Thursday. It's only Monday." Then I forgot that, and the next thing I know, I'm waking up or <laughs> thinking last night, "Oh, it's almost Thursday again." So Thursday, July fifteen, in this time of accelerated experience. Uh, <clears throat> class six on uh, Nisargadatta Maharaj uh, reminiscences from um, a devotee, you could say, David Godman, uh, bringing in the portion of Yoga Vashishta <clears throat> that um, is related to Ramayana, but uh, not quite the same, it seems. This is chapter 117, dialogue between Manu and Ikshaku. Manu, again, <clears throat> is uh, one of the primary, is considered one of the primary emanations. There are many, first of all, <laughs> every one of the Sanskrit words or Pali words has multiple definitions and usages, particularly Sanskrit words. Um, if I'm looking at the term samvid or the root being sam, and vid, vidya, avidya, vidya, right? knowledge is vidya, avidya is ignorance, the first, the basis of uh, samsara, actually, and reincarnation or existence in this octave is avidya, and the goal, which is could also be called satchit, is samvid. So sat is tat, and satchit is awareness of sat, chit, the chit of sat, sat is also tat, on tat sat. And so, suchness, tat, is reality, uh, sat, and awareness of that is, uh, you know, <laughs> tat sat chit, or sat chit, like satchitananda, which is the end of the path, which is, you know, a bit far from us. <laughs> but that's also akin to samvid. <clears throat> and um, looking at the uh, Wisdom Library page on sam or samvid, you know, there are dozens and dozens of definitions. <laughs> and so we have to find the significance, um, and that's where sects and different schools arose. So we're looking at this dialogue between Manu and King Ikshaku that Manu presented to Rama <clears throat> in the Yoga Vashishta from uh, Valmiki. And uh, this is actually very important basis of uh, Advaita Vedanta teaching philosophy and then praxis or practice. So when Raman, Ramana Maharshi talks about, you uses the, the teaching, who am I, what am I, um, atham vichar, self-inquiry, to realize self or true nature. Um, it has something to do, <clears throat> it's associated with this uh, early philosophy from Yoga Vashishta uh, that that I think establishes some of the the metaphysical basis of Advaita Vedanta and later teachings and practices. And so, what's very useful here, not only the discussion of Tatsat, where Tat and Sat are equated or unified, uh, but some of the basic. Um, Hindu or Vedantic philosophy, Yoga Vaishishta is like 2,300 years old. Um, it's 
far as I know. <clears throat> and so we're talking very uh, ancient core teachings in Vedanta that um, fed into or supports Advaita Vedanta that is heavily under, heavily manhandled by the New Age. And so you'll see, you know, like, like real, unreal. It is, it isn't. It's unreal, it's real, it's impermanent, it's eternal. This kind of, uh, the issues of ontology, is it real, is it illusion, um, what is going on here, uh, and how um, awareness of reality or growing wisdom, understanding the I and the apparent outer world, and, and thus the work of the transformation of the I, the agent, the seer, the self, in this apparent uh, environment, which includes multidimensional environment, uh, what's, what, what, are, what are the ways of um, developing the subject <laughs> in, in a non, from a non-dual perspective of uh, subject-object and the self and the environment? So <clears throat> I want to read again, particularly um, in the Yoga Vashishta, in this chapter 117, when Manu is talking to Ikshaku in his reply to the king. The king, this is uh, 15 stanzas or shloka, and the setup is that uh, Rama is talking to Manu about or asking about uh, King Ikshaku, the first founder of your race, um, the race of uh, what? The race of man or Hindu? I'm not sure. Uh, he was a monarch, <clears throat> and he's asking Manu, and Manu's answering Ikshaku and explaining that all to Rama. <laughs> and Ikshaku was basically asking... Um, six, seven, eight, shloka six, seven, eight. Uh, it is by your favor, sir. This is Ikshaku to Manu that I take the liberty of asking you the question regarding the origin of this creation and the original state in which it was made. So, cosmogenesis. Tell me what's the number of the worlds, who's the master and owner thereof, and when and by whom it's said to be created in the Vedas. So he's asking about. Um, Manu's perspective on cosmogenesis, cosmology, uh, then <clears throat> um, he's asking it, Shloka 8, tell me how I may be extricated from my doubts and erroneous opinions, so help me clear up my doubt, regarding this creation, and then how I may be released from them, my doubts, like a bird from its nest, uh, or net. Uh, the moksha from wrong view or confusion, liberation from the net of misunderstanding or mis incorrect view. And bear in mind that <clears throat> this is, I think, to me, this is sort of bedrock Vedantic teaching on, um, on regarding ontology, metaphysics of creation, what it is and how it came to be or how it came to be, and what it is, and how we should see it, 
in association with the work of self-transformation. And it's surely a non-dual presentation, although it's all done in words. And then we have the Buddhist view, which doesn't focus on self-realization whatsoever, but a core teaching is anatta, and then Nagarjuna uh, and um, Madhyamaka philosophy coming a few hundred years after this, which also influenced later Advaita Vedanta, talking about uh, sunya or the emptiness of all views, which Gautama also did discuss, but um, where Madhyamaka, the middle way, middle, middle way teaching, is between affirmation and negation, meaning all views are either going to be affirmatory or negatory. This is, this isn't. It is, it isn't. It's real, it's unreal. It's impermanent, it's permanent. All of those from a Madhyamaka philosophical, logical basis are sunya, empty, and insubstantial, and therefore uh, illusory. Even views are illusory. Views, the view that view is illusory is illusory. So the sunya of sunya, uh the sunya of sunya is that our talking about uh, our perceptions and experiences as illusory is also illusory. Fine. So then what? Well, you know, no one can say. And that's why they say it's tat or tat sat. It's such, it is as it is, phenomena, reality, creation, <clears throat> source and purpose, ultimately, too. They are as they are, uh, such as it is. And to say it is and to say it isn't are relative statements. And they may be relatively useful, right? It's very useful <laughs> to have the statement that uh, right speech is more helpful than wrong speech, or that there is a distinction in speech between right and wrong between that which supports our evolution and that which gives us more uh, pain and blockage. Yeah, if you're on the positive path, <clears throat> certain forms of speech that are called wrong speech, like lying and harsh talk and uh, malicious talk to hurt people and uh, poor timing and uh, overriding or, or uh, running over, talking over people, uh, insensitivity to others' feelings and, and countless other forms of insensitivity or lack of love-care, feeling, feelingfulness in speech are called wrong because they lead to more pain for us as well as pain for the other. Now, that's a relative teaching. That's not an absolute truth. It's, uh, associ- you know, everybody argues. That's, and that's where, you know... <laughs> That's where uh, Chong is coming in right at the start, saying if right was so clearly distinguished from wrong, there would be no argument. There would be no discussion among humans about right and wrong, true and false. If true and false were so clearly demarcated or distinguished, as well as right and wrong so clearly different, there would be no argument, <clears throat> actually. But there is a big argument because they are both relative, or all those, those polarities are relative. Relative means... What I see is true today, I may see is false tomorrow. Or what I see, or what's good for me is not good for you. Or what's good for me now may not be good for me later. And even the good and the bad is relative, because there's more good and less good, and more bad and less bad, and not even as a moral thing, but as consequences, regarding consequence. Right? Virtue, vice, 
is not some kind of commandment from God, you shall, you shall not. People think of it that way. <laughs> Obviously, people think about all sorts of things. But it, to me, it's, it's true and it's right, <clears throat> or it's good and true and, and, and correct. Um, it's labeled such by the consequences which are supportive of continued evolution, continued development of uh, love, wisdom, non-dual awareness, total self-integration and freedom. Self-integration beyond self, in, in fact, of course. So, <clears throat> uh, with all that said, <laughs> Manu replies to the king in his teaching to Rama here, says, this is Shloka 9 through 15, the heart of this teaching. And you'll see all sorts of derivations in New Age, in uh, modern interpretations. <clears throat> so, uh, Manu says in his talking to Ikshaku, I see, O king, that you have, after a long time, come to the exercise of your reasoning, as it's shown by your proposing to me such an important question as this. Meaning, I can see that you've arrived at these questions by a long practice or long time, thinking hard, reasoning, <clears throat> uh, contemplating, uh, and the question is important, you know, who created the universe, or how is it created, or what's it all about, and how can I free myself from my confusions? Which also means can free myself from bondage in general. So, okay, I can see that you're thinking deeply, you've exercised your reason and thought contemplation in this for a while, that's great, and it is an important question. Shloka 10, <clears throat> translation is, all this that you see, and here's where the... These shloka 10, 11, 12 um, explain, this is a core Vedanta, Vedantic ontology, the nature of being, and a metaphysical ontology, which I guess is natural, associated with creation. What is, what is, is what? <laughs> He's explaining what is. So, 10. All this that you see, nothing real, or all this that you see is nothing real. They are merely phenomenal and unsubstantial, insubstantial. They resemble fairy castles in the air and water in the mirage of sandy deserts. So anything, so also anything which is not seen in reality is accounted for or accounted nothing in existence. And so there's... <clears throat> reality that um, has an, uh, an un unquestionable or substantial existence, right? So merely phenomenal and insubstantial is all that we see. So all this that is seen, visual forms, which includes knowing, meaning thoughts, or hearing, so seeing forms and hearing sounds and thinking concepts, all that is nothing real. This is a certain definition, a certain usage of the word real. You go to the Zen master and you say, nothing's real, right? And he'll hit you and say, you don't know anything, go back and keep sitting. So this was, this is very criticizable <laughs> by Chan and Zen and um, 
Majamaka. But um, that's not a problem because these guys know more than their words as well. So all this that you see, nothing real. They're merely phenomenal and insubstantial. And so the phenomenal is insubstantial because it's impermanent, basically. And it is in relation to our unreliable perception, conception process of cognizing, right? I see the tree is green because I'm looking at the leaves, it's green. If I'm very close, it's different. If I'm far, it's different. If my eyesight is different, it's different. If I have an expanded state of awareness, I don't see the tree, the tree as tall and green. I see it as God. I see God talking, God fully manifest in a tree. Sure. So is it a tree or is it God? Or is it just green or is it uh, energy fields? It's all of that. And therefore, each one of those appellations or definitions is partial. So is it unreal, though? Now, there we have the first uh, an early usage of the word real. And that's criticizable. Meanwhile, it's, it's, it's reasonable. So just because it's criticizable doesn't mean it's useless. And this is something, you know, we can criticize a hard usage of terms that lead to an attachment to name and form. We can also criticize the, critici the criticism of that attachment or reification of ideas. So we can criticize reification of idea. We can criticize the criticizer as well, who may not realize, don't you know that the speaker knew more than the words that you're criticizing? <laughs> eh? Don't you know the spirit behind, don't you know the awareness of that mind who spoke those words? Oh. Mm. So all that, all this that you see, nothing real. <clears throat> okay, that's a definition, a very dualistic <laughs> definition of real. But it's pretty clear. <clears throat> real is uh, unreal because, in this logic, they're merely phenomenal, relative, transitory, and therefore or also insubstantial. Okay. So the real is substantial. The phenomenal is impermanent, insubstantial, and thus, quote, not real. And that's, in a sense, true. And in a sense, and so long as one's not attached to the word. Then they resemble fairy castles in the sky, water in the mirage of sandy deserts. <clears throat> Apparently real, essentially empty. Then, so also anything which is not seen in reality, meaning when you're not seeing reality, which is called sat, right? Anything not seen in reality, anything that's not sat, is accounted nothing in existence. It doesn't have existence. That, again, is very dualistic <clears throat> and makes a, you know, lead some people to get into a hard division between real and unreal, um, sat and uh, maya, or sat and the unreal. Of course, the transitory and the phenomenal and the relative is <laughs> tat sat too. It's a, it's an illusory, insubstantial appearance of tat sat. It's dancing thought rather than the thinker but the, the dancing thought, you're not living in a material universe. <clears throat> Ra said you're part of a, th a great thought. Yeah, the thought of Godhead, the thought Brahma's dream. Yeah, sure, we're living in Brahma's dream. But it's Brahma. <laughs> it's Logos. It's one infinite creator, wherever you look. 
even though we experience it now as phenomenal, relative, impermanent, thus insubstantial. Is it real? Is it unreal? It's, um, again, <laughs> apparently experientially real, quote, real, yet we experience it as insubstantial or it's, we experience it as impermanent, which that means your mind too. Your mind, the mind is that, that way too. And so uh, the question is how free are we of our own mind? How free are we of uh, attachment to the mind process? So anything which is not seen in reality is accounted nothing in existence. Okay, that's the hard line, apparently, presumably dualistic ontology um, metaphysics that reality and illusion are um, never, you know, the twain shall never meet. Um, it's nothing. Now, I don't really believe that, but <clears throat> it's a dream. It's a real dream. <laughs> it's a real, impermanent, apparently impermanent, and apparently insubstantial dream of totality or infinity. That's how I see it. So, but you're going to get, again, these are the roots of Vedanta philosophy 2,300 years ago or so <clears throat> that informs Advaita Vedanta and was criticized by Madhyamaka and yet the criticism was reincorporated by Adi Shankara and uh, Ramanuja, Ramanuja, I think it's Ramanuja, his teacher or some other teacher, early teachers in Advaita Vedanta picked up later by others. So, <clears throat> 11, shloka 11. The mind, and now we're talking not only about so-called outer environmental phenomena, but also mind and thought and feeling and sensation and the so-called self process. Shloka 11. The mind, and this was actually manas, manasa was the Sanskrit. The mind also, which lies beyond the six senses, right, it's not in the body, is reckoned as nothing in reality. No mind, right? So there were very early teachings in Buddhism, no mind. No mind school. But that which is indestructible is the only thing that's said to exist and is called the tatsat, the only being in reality. Being doesn't mean a guy. Being means beingness of reality. Beingness that is reality. Reality being uh, non-insubstantial, substantial. And that's criticizable also. But if you really know where these guys are coming from, they're just using words lightly. So sometimes the, the speaker that gets criticized um, knows more than the critic. <laughs> the critic rightly criticizes the words, but doesn't see the mind of the speaker. It's like, you criticize me. Can you see my mind? Hmm? Do you see my mind? No, I don't think you do. You hear my words. Do you see my mind? Do you see this mind? Hmm. Oh, uh-huh. So, people should learn their place <laughs> and know what they don't know. You know? <laughs> Meaning, if you don't see the mind of the speaker, you should be a little bit careful in criticizing. So, the mind also, which lies beyond the six senses, is reckoned as nothing in reality. But that which is indestructible, the only thing that is said to exist, and so this is a philosophy um, that he's explaining. He's explaining how the philosophy works and is called tatsat, the tatsat, or tatsat, the only being in reality. 
And again, the translation here is very old, actually. This is... <laughs> this translation is like... <clears throat> this this uh, Wisdom Live, sometimes they have very funky 120-year-old translations. I think that it's from Vihari Lala Mitra of 1891. <laughs> so this is a translation that's 130 years old. Now, some of that doesn't, doesn't matter. Who cares? But in some cases, actually... Um, these guys were off because they didn't have much... They, they didn't have many other English translations to bounce back, to bounce off of, to argue, um, to improve or refine their translation. So this is a 130-year-old translation from Vihari Lala Mitra, who was, you know, a great translator in his own way, in his own day. But there's some issues that we can see here, I can see. So mind lies beyond the six senses. In this view is reckoned as no thing because of this view that reality is um, not, is, is indestructible. That's the point. The impermanent is, quote, destructible. It's, it bo- it's born, you know, arising, persisting, and passing away. So birth, old age, sickness, and death. The phenomenal is born and decays and dies. That's why it's impermanent. And it is vibratory. It is in process. It's in krama. It's a succession. Succession is in play. Then we'll look at this also when we look at samvit. And so in this philosophy, in this way of uh, talking cosmology or, or... ontology um, that which is uh, that which can be destroyed meaning that which uh, is born and then uh, persists decays and dies is called unreal is called illusion is called nothing is accounted nothing in existence so the only extant extant indestructible reality is called tatsat the only being in reality can also be translated as the only reality, uh, the only reality being, <laughs> the only condition of reality, the only nature, the, the sole nature of reality is tatsat. You know, it's just words and words and words here, right? And so there's a difference between the experience of tatsat and all these words. And <laughs> the experience is nothing like this, actually, as far as I've known. The, the reality is completely incomprehensible in the moment. Incomprehensibility is in the moment. The moment of some breakthrough for whatever I, whatever I know, whatever I've experienced, incomprehensibility is in there. It's, it's a, a moment where the incomprehensibility of existence is, uh, is overwhelmingly clear. And not an intellectual clarity, it's an intellectual thought, yeah. But it, it's uh, some sense that uh, this phenomenal reality, uh, whatever the hell it is, is of uh, incalculable value, preciousness, uh, meaningfulness, importance, and completely incomprehensible. <clears throat> in, in the moment, the, the axles are taken off the wheel, uh, as an old uh, I Ching analogy. The axles are removed from the vehicle, it couldn't move. And 
that that means that the the mental process of uh, sankara sanskara concept you know fabrication fermenting mental appellation right interpretation conceptual understanding is just not doable it just doesn't it that, that it's not happening there's no perception um that can lead to that type of uh interpretation of the moment and yet it's also um exceedingly precious and valuable and meaningful and important um and there is joy absolutely and that's a little bit closer hopefully to tatsat than all the talk but just bear in mind this is the classical criticizable vedantic formulation that was integrated and modified by advaita vedanta over the centuries with and without first without and then with Madhyamaka criticism uh, uh, where uh, the real is understood to be um, uh, neither affirm, affirmable nor, nor negate, negatable, <laughs> negatable meaning what is cannot be put into words of yes it is and no it isn't and that's where the, the criticism the Buddhist criticism of talking about nothingness comes in and that's where the the on the other side comes the the philosophy the aphorism things are not as they appear nor are they otherwise so tatsat or things or phenomena that are transitory and destructible yes their true nature their shing their innate inborn nature mm-hmm. their true nature is uh, not holy as it appears not confined by the appearance and the the physical manifestation or our intellectual comprehension. Nor is it otherwise, its true nature doesn't exclude the illusory, insubstantial, transitory, uh, present appearance. And that's tatsat too. Or that is tatsat, that's closer. So, again, mind also is reckoned as nothing in reality. There is no mind. Meaning subjectivity is illusory. That's the point. It's not that uh, chit is unreal. It's that uh, vijjana and the monastic function um, are empty of... Um, are, 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 are fickle means of knowing and don't reveal tatsat. We don't see tatsat when the mind is, is stuck in subjective name and form okay when the mind when there's subjectivity i am a subject and everything else is an object by that <laughs> eighth fetter tanamanas craving to monastic identity nya tanamanas eighth fetter strange uh tana uh, means craving um tanha Right? Craving, one of the one of the core bases of reincarnation, tanha manas, translated as conceit, um, actually is subjectivity. Why do I know this, and some people don't know this? Am I wrong? Maybe I'm wrong. I'm a dummy. Am I wrong? How can I be sitting here in the middle of nowhere knowing this, and very few people who are teachers seem to know this? How can that be? I must be wrong. Or did they not understand something? I don't know. I just don't know. <laughs> but Tanamana's eighth fetter 
is the craving of manas. And that leads to subjective identity. And that's dropped, as Ra said, when they leave sixth density or get out of the Atmanic phase. When Jivatman approaches Paramatman. When Jivatman approaches Paramatman, uh, the Jiva uh, separative identity is dropped. And then you just move straight into Paramatman or Tatsat or Satchit, which is some bit real, true uh, knowledge, true knowing. So the only thing that's real um, is Tatsat, and yet it's a valid Buddhist Madhyamaka criticism that um, the illusory doesn't exclude Tatsat. Tatsat is not like somewhere else. <laughs> tatsat is, is the true nature of the so-called illusory phenomenal insubstantial. That's the point. Twelve, all these visible worlds and successive creations, right? Cosmology, cosmo, the, the cosmic plan, right? All these visible worlds and successive creations, the octaves, are but unsubstantial, insubstantial appearances, fine, in the mirror of that real substance. What's the real substance? Tatsat. But I don't think it's a substance. <laughs> you know, the logos is not a substance. And uh, intelligent energy could be called a substance. But actually, it's a created form. But here we're talking about something that's indestructible. So it could not have been created. Duh. So it's called the deathless. As Gautama called Nibbana, the deathless. Yeah, the uncreate. Yeah, that's right. Tatsat is the uncreate. But it's not apart from the apparently create, created, impermanent, insubstantial. Things are not as they appear, nor are they otherwise. So appearance is illusory, um, but truth is, there's only Tatsat. There's only God. Like they asked Nityananda, he said, everyone is God here. Right. Right. One infinite creator, look in the mirror. Look around you. See the Creator. Right. So this is where um, the classical Vedantic philosophy um, is rightly criticized as being dualistic. In the view that illusory and substantial and, and um, reality are separate. They are and they aren't. They're separate for the ignorant mind under Tanamanas. If the 8th and ninth and 10th fetters are not yet broken then we experience a distinction between illusion and real. When the 8th and ninth and 10th fetters are broken, on the other side of the path, I presume, um, the illusion and the reality is seen um, interpenetrating. Right? The physical and the metaphysical are inseparable, said Ra. Yes, I think that's right. So Ra is a Vedantist. Oh, ho. So, okay... So all of name and form, phenomenal, insubstantial, illusory, are accounted nothing in existence. They don't have eternity. But actually what they are is more than their phenomenal, impermanent appearance and process. The mind also reckoned nothing in reality, but the indestructible, the only thing said to exist, the only thing real, according to this the semantics here, is what's indestructible, and that's tatsat. And um, likewise, uh, multidimensionality, time and space and higher dimensions, are also insubstantial, impermanent appearances, uh, and appear in a mirror. And Nisargadat talked about um, uh, the difference between consciousness and awareness. Brilliant. Uh, uh, Brilliant teaching. Um, Verse 26 in the other page. 
where awareness is non-dual consciousness or non-dual sentience, and consciousness is uh, <laughs> eighth fetter not yet broken, and one has to the yana the yani has to die, has to realize the death of the false self that he self-realized uh, to leave six density or to, to you know for jivatman to merge with paramatman. So we're talking about attainment of six density and then the transit from six to eight. Okay? The achievement of, quote, jivatman, and then jivatman becoming one with panmatman. Higher self, up, up to higher self, and then higher self returning to logos. Fine. Which in Buddhism is bodhisattva becoming uh, arahan. Same, as far as I can tell. So, but, but the mirroring, the polarity, the duality, uh, duality of subject-object is the result of a certain kind of mirroring that occurs because of the lack of development of the seven chakras. When the seven chakras are perfected, the, the sentient mirroring process is over and there's no more subject-object. The, the development of the seven chakra system for a beingness that leaves sixth density is such that sentient mirroring is over. When sentient mirroring is over, there's no subject-object, there's no sense of a selfhood, and there's no distinction between illusory and real. Boom. Thirteen, shloka. The inherent powers of Brahma evolve themselves... Now here's cosmogony. The inherent powers of Brahma, or Logos, evolve themselves as shining sparks of fire. Mm-mm. Right? Let there be light. And some of these assume the forms of luminous worlds, while others appear in the shapes of living souls, right? Nama, Rupa. So Nama is name and Rupa is form. Nama is made by Vijnana, which is basically subjectivist uh, awareness or consciousness, subjective sense of self, we call consciousness, or Nisargadat called consciousness very brilliantly. So subjectivist awareness called consciousness, akin to eighth fetter, um, is this uh, is what's called a living soul, uh, jiva and atman, um, beingnesses, seven chakra, seven energy field, mind, body, spirit, beingness, totality, complexes or complices, complices, uh, that are apparently living souls, jiva, or beingnesses, uh, in this apparent creation, uh, where there's an apparent <laughs> evolutionary process in play, which is illusory, but a real illusory process, an illusory dream of um, the formless, <laughs> the, the essential, the indestructible. And so this is still, so everything is Brahma, everything is uh, the one infinite creator. Look in the mirror, look around, look at other beings. Shining sparks of fire, intelligent energy, right? Uh, prana, numa, chi, ki, elan vital, said the white, the Frenchman. So, um, shining sparks of fire means um, all is one. It all is a manifestation of source, of course. And so you have outer and inner made of the same substance, right? Outer, so-called uh, luminous worlds, worlds or dimensions, and, and so-called places, uh, while other environments, while others appear, other sparks of fire appear in the shape of living souls. So the substantial basis of a being and beingness 
and the substantial basis of a world or an environment or a, a dimension is the same. Of course. That's what it means, all is one. That's another ramification of all is one. <clears throat> then, Shloka 14, others again take many other forms which compose this universe, right? The forms of environment and the forms of beingnesses, the classes of beings in the 31 planes, or the three realms, or the seven dimensions. And then, now, we have this, the application of this teaching that um, all phenomena, inner of so-called self and outer of so-called environment, are forms of Brahma's shining sparks of light, or sparks of fire. Fire, light, fire is the same as light, of course. Fire and light are interchangeable terms here. We're talking about intelligent energy, light, light, love, love, light, capital L. Capital L, light, equals this shining sparks of fire, I'd say. So, okay, these shining sparks of fire or light uh, takes multiple takes all the forms. All the forms of creation are made of that, one substance. So, okay, all is of the same substance. That's why the kingdom of heaven is within, because the kingdom of heaven that you may imagine is without is also within, because within and without, or self and other, or here and there, or subject-object, is of one substance. And the problem is a limited seven chakra development whereby um, infinite Awareness is apparently coalesced into the um, the realm of a seven-dimensional, uh, seven-chakra energy field beingness who imagines itself uh, separate from totality and different. And it is, in some sense, separate, and it is, in some sense, different. Yes, it's unique, um, but like drops of water in the ocean. So, then... From this view of unity, right? This is this is uh, you know Vedanta going to to Advaita Vedanta twenty three hundred years ago. Okay, others again take many other forms. Other sparks of light or sparks of fire take many other forms, which compose the universe, outer inner. And then, based on all of that, based on that truth, there is nothing as bondage or liberation here, here in creation. Except that, meaning it's only the case that the undecaying Brahma, right, the uncreate Logos, um, the source of time and space and phenomena that, that decays, there is nothing, therefore, there is nothing as bondage or liberation here. Those issues are not relevant to the, the condition of phenomena or existence as is. There's nothing as bondage or liberation here, except that the undecaying Brahma is all in all. Nor is there any unity or duality in nature. Right. So the true Advaita takes out unity too. Unity and duality is not the same as non-duality. Non-duality means non-unity, as well as rejection of the apparent duality as substantial or eternal. So... Unity is a concept and an experience. Uh, obviously, there is an experience of unity. Um, you know, very, very similar to the fifth and sixth skandha, fifth and sixth janas, the perception of infinity of space, the perception of infinity of consciousness. Infinity means boundlessness, means non-dual, the non-duality 
of consciousness and space, space and then consciousness, the fifth and the sixth jhanas in Buddhist meditation. It's very important, actually, if you get into higher states of meditation, you want to sort of get a sense of what the hell's going on here. So the perception of the infinity of space, the perception of the infinity of consciousness is the common ways of translating fifth, sixth jhanas. Um, actually, it can also be translated as perception of or experience of the boundlessness or non-duality of apparent space and then apparent consciousness. Non-dual consciousness is, uh, you know, this experience of unity. But that too is relative and impermanent. That's the point. And so there is no reality essentially to the belief that there is indeed bondage, thus needing liberation. Likewise, there's no fundamental, substantial basis or eternal, unchanging substance or basis to the very, you know, apparently real experiences of unity and duality. So, uh, unity is the corresponding resolution of the experience of duality. But that's not the end of the game, and that's still based in Namarupa and uh, subjectivism. And so the final... You know, it's only when Ra, Ra, when only when a being leaves um, Jivatman, only on the way out of Jivatman. Similar to Nisargadatta's talking of the second of the jhana, the yani experiencing his own death. As far as I can tell, that's exactly the same as Ra saying that in seventh density they leave, they drop identity and memory. There's no more identity, meaning they've experienced the death of the self, but there was never any self to die. There's just the belief in in separative subjectivity or the subjective illusory belief in separateness. And the experience that I don't, you know, I can't talk from the from the fan. I can only talk from this body. If I was free of various blockages, I could uh, inhabit the fan and speak from it or hear myself speaking out of the fan or the wall. Of course, that sounds kind of psychotic too. And some people fall into psychosis of depersonalization. And so there is a psychodynamic issue called depersonalization, derealization, that is dissociation, dissociative identity disorder, the DID. And that's a real issue. That's a real problem. Meanwhile, (laughs) uh, unity or non-duality means that the speaker is everywhere and everywhere is, is the one, the one self. But any coalescence of this sense of um, identity has to be dropped and is dropped. So, nor is there any unity or duality in nature, meaning in truth, meaning in tatsat, in awareness of tatsat. There is no more perception of and experience of and conception, therefore, of unity and duality. Except, meaning only there is, the diversity displayed by the divine mind from the essence of his or its own consciousness. But here, consciousness is, is not the right word, <clears throat> because that's, like Nisargadat said, uh, subjectivist awareness. I mean, that's one way. You know, words, 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 right? So everybody's using them in different ways. So divine mind is satchit, or samvid, and that divine mind, satchit, or intelligent infinity, you know, Uh, or nirvana, (laughs) um, comes from 
um, but actually really is a ma- is is of or is the essence of its awareness. So okay, <laughs> the diversity of phenomena, um, the forms of the sparks of fire, come out of apparently appear to come out of divine mind. Ultimately, their nature is the same as divine mind. And in truth, there's never been a creation coming out of. It's the dream. It's a dream of, of, of the Logos, of intelligent infinity. It's a dream. Creation is the dream, is God's dream. And it has an apparent, the apparent reality of a dream. And when you wake up, you'll see it's a dream. And this could be said to be from the essence of his own consciousness or from, but it's not, there's no to and from, there's no separate situations here. These are synonyms, not, um, you know, mahakrama. Mahakrama hasn't started yet, meaning succession or sequence. And I'll get into that next time. So this is very, you know, (laughs) um, high-end deconstructing ontological metaphysics, the deconstruction of ontological metaphysics, using all those big words. But that's kind of true, you know, they're big words and they sound fancy. But actually, it does, um, you know, um, capture, encapsulate somewhat the nature of the discussion here, talking about the origin of creation and its uh, genesis process of succession and stages. We're talking about its source. We're talking a little bit about what is true and what is not true, epistemology. So we're deconstructing non-dual, deconstructing illusory, you know, illusory epistemology or finding the heart of non-dual epistemology. Non-dual epistemology, okay. A search for truth, something like that. So the essence of his own consciousness is some vid, and some vid is, um, only has like dozens and dozens of uh, definitions. From Wisdom Library, Shaivism, um, Shiva, worship, or Shiva, uh, groups. Some vit, and so you have to say some is sometimes san, s-a-n, sometimes s-a-m. Vid is sometimes v-i-d, sometimes v-i-t, same as vidya. Um, you can see some old translations in English that are called it vidya. Crazy. So some vit, or awareness reality, fine, is itself is succession or krama. Uh-huh. Krama is not karma. Krama is succession. Succession means apparent sequence. So samvid, awareness reality, itself, meaning there's the, in, the inseparability of uh, nirvana and samsara, right? The illusory is only illusory for, for the ones that are still in bondage and uh, under the sway of identity and, you know, haven't broken all the fetters. When all the fetters are broken, I presume, are not there, um, the quote illusory duel, uh, and its uh, essence, you know, its resolution, the apparently experientially unified unity, um, are known as inseparable or at one with their source. Uh, dancing source is creation. Pre-dancing is pre-creation. So some vid, uh, some here means not the same 
well, let me let me finish this. Some vid or awareness reality itself is succession or krama cosmogenesis, the, the apparently sequential process of anything. Whether it is a process of empirical cognition, <laughs> eh? so a process, what kind of process or succession? Well, there's mind and body or inner outer or succession as a process of empirical cognition or succession krama as that of reflective meditation or cosmic emanation, right? Cosmogenesis, cosmogeny. So there's sequence in the mental process, there's sequence in the origin of creation, there's sequence in apparent soul evolution. Whatever that is, he, it's written here, it is some vid, some vid that defines and undergoes the process of succession, krama. This process of succession is also called maha krama, great krama. And so uh, change or no change, um, it's uh, satchit, which is some vid, Awareness reality, uh, or, I mean, awareness reality is better, I think, as um, uh, satchit. Because directly, sat is reality, truth, absolute truth. And chit is mind or awareness. Fine. So that seems better to me. Samvit is not different, but um, down the page, there's an interesting... Of, of the dozens and dozens of descriptions or definitions. Uh, <laughs> getting to a deeper level uh, from Prahad Bhagavatam, Bhagavatamratam, Bhagavatamratam, the knowledge portion or cognizant aspect of the Lord's spiritual potency. <laughs> so this is. Um, uh, like the third aspect, there's the law of free will, the law of love, law of light. The law of light, um, it, it's the second or third aspect. It depends on how you how you divide the three. But the that uh, awareness to to say that that Godhead is infinite awareness is not the whole story. The absolute is infinite power and infinite awareness and therefore infinite potential. And the infinite awareness here is understood in one view of from the Vaish, from Vaish, Vaishava Dharma, Vaish, uh, Vishnu traditions, the knowledge portion or cognizant aspect of Vishnu or the Lord's or Godhead's spiritual potency. The potency by which he knows himself and causes others to know him. So the knowing aspect of infinity. Um, the uh, omniscience, basically infinite knowing, which sometimes is called the law, is associated with the second principle. Sometimes is associated with the third. <laughs> uh, okay, and so some some vid also is to know, to be aware of, to recognize knowledge, consciousness, perception. So you see, people go all over the place because uh, they haven't, they they don't have a taste of uh, what's beyond non-duality. So, sam is a prefix, means uh, from the Sanskrit dictionary, another page, uh, f- with or together with, together, or um, intensifies the meaning of the simple root, meaning very, very, quite, greatly, thoroughly, thoroughly vid. <laughs> Some vid is very, very vid. Very, very vid means um, omniscience. Uh, supreme knowledge knowing gnosis 
and that would ultimately be beyond uh, Jivatman, but the union of Jivatman, Paramatman, uh, full moksha vid is sam vid, which is satchit, it seems to me. So, uh, the final shloka, and maybe I'll close it here for today, go back to Nisargadat next time. The final shloka here, as it is the same water of the sea, which itself is in the various forms of its waves, right, the same water substance, so does the divine intellect display itself in everything, and there's nothing else beside this. That's it. All is God. All is Godhead, the manifestation emanations of Godhead. Therefore, leave aside your thoughts of bondage and liberation, and rest, secure in this belief from the fears of the world. And the little note is, this is pantheistic belief in the one God and all. It's not, yeah, you can say pantheistic, it's not really a pan, it's monotheistic, actually. So it's a little strange. So therefore, as, as you're living in God, <laughs> the environment is God, the body is God, it's not that I am God better than you. It's the substance of, of my body and mind and seven chakra system and the totality of what I is for all of us is an emanation of light from Godhead. And um, that's all. <laughs> that's the way it is. Uh, meanwhile, people can still suffer a lot. <laughs> so, But the teaching here is, leave aside your thoughts of bondage and liberation and rest. And you can see this in, in that passage of the person who said he knew Nityananda as a schoolboy, or when they were in school and Nityananda was outside <laughs> playing with the school kids' uh, minds and saying, you don't need that, when there was some group, and he's saying, you know, you do guys do a lot of pranayama, why don't you just rest and let prana do its work? Uh, this is similar to uh, leave aside your thoughts of bondage, liberation, and rest. Take it easy. Uh, don't struggle for freedom. If you struggle for freedom, like quicksand, you'll just be more uh, binded, bound. And so... Struggling for freedom doesn't make freedom. Again, in some cases, struggle is fine. Of course, of course, we're talking about different things. But the teaching here, leave aside your thoughts of bondage and liberation and then rest. Secure in this belief, which I think is true. Secure in belief from the fears of the world. So the Taoist has attained that, the Zhenren to some degree, saying, you know, whether I'm turned into a tree or a, a boat or I have gnarly legs or I'm, you know, die today or die two, ten years from now, it's fine. Fine. Um, creation, you know, uh, birth, appear, birth occurs, death occurs, um, so it is. Uh, anyway, <laughs> this is pretty deep stuff and I think it's really lovely and I think you can find... Uh, lots of food for thought, and it certainly helps explain. It helps shed some light on how less rigorous thinkers are using the different words. Uh, very few people would give an hour on this, you know, chapter. I mean, it deserves many more hours actually, but very few people think deeply um, to comprehend what they think they believe or what they're saying as reflective of their belief. Um, 
mo many, many people, most people, just haven't gone deep. People are in a big hurry. So uh, going deep, we can see the multiple uses for good and for ill of uh, language and terminology like real, unreal, uh, true, untrue. You can say it's all true and nothing's true. All thought is illusory and illusory is Godhead. And Godhead is, uh, you know, sat tat, tat sat, om tat sat. Yeah. <laughs> so it's all real and it's nothing real. No thing is real and it's all real. So that's it for today. Uh, next time I think we'll go back to Nisargadat. And by the way, uh, the picture on this and the last video comes from a book um, the, the, it's from directly from this page uh, actually not from this page but it's from a page on Valmiki and Yoga Vashishta uh, for those who know what I'm saying uh, there are places at uh, 3.6 uh, heavenly worlds upper astral that are just like that there are there are created ashram ashrama in the 3.6 that look just like that cover, that art. Finally, um, the other pre previously, the, the website previously known as Weebly <laughs> is now not burdened with that word. And so the new, that website has become www.twsmandelker.com www.twsmandelker.com uh, Over 900 talks 27 playlists, dozens of categories uh, that are very interesting, all free, of course, with lots of resources and links. And um, uh, I think it was done really well, so hat, hat, hats off to the worker in Adelaide, the hard worker in Adelaide. So thank you, everybody, for doing this and um, or being part of that. And I hope this was useful. Next week we return to Nisargadat's Dharma. And uh, take care of yourself in this uh, somewhat degenerating uh, human civilization uh, towards the end of the third density cycle. Uh, keep your light on. <laughs> uh, don't lose faith. Don't forget what you are and where you're from and where you're going. This too shall pass. We'll get through it. And, um, you know, death is not the enemy. Um, no matter what life brings us um, we'll do our best and um, you know the dark is always followed by the light and um, talk to your friends upstairs and uh, maybe they can do a little bit more so thank you again take good care of yourselves see you next time and good night <laughs>